We have a group of 12 individuals from our church that are going to be uh, going on a mission trip here uh, very soon. They're leaving. uh, This mission trip is April 9 through 15. So they're going to get back on Good Friday. All right, so this is going to be a group of 12 people that are going to, you 12 or 11 of you that are here, why don't you come up to the stage and join me right here, if you would, while I give these little bits of information. So Rick Brinkman, Gary Dunham, John and Deb Forshe, Jeff and Linda Gabor, Tim and Lisa Hill, Monty and Sue Monti, Matthew Sendek, and Bob Somerville are all 12 that are going to be going. They're going to be heading out to Whisper Mountain Camp in Robinsonville, New uh, uh, new, no, North Carolina, North Carolina, and uh, this is a camp that uh, is having some cabins built, and they're going to be working on uh, a 28-bed cabin, and uh, so with CWE and, and how that works, many of you know, there's like three or four weeks where this building is started, and then over the course of those three, four weeks is completed. Our group is going to go week four and uh, finish whatever else is left. That's usually what happens for the crew that comes last. Right, You get to, to finish everything else that uh, is left to be done. So there'll be painting, some electrical work, and various things. And so uh, these wonderful folks, how many do I count? Three, six, seven, eight. Matt Sendek's not here because he's already down there somewhere. All right, So, so there's one that's uh, not going to be up here right now. But uh, these folks are going to be uh, heading out, and so we want to be in prayer for them. Uh, if you are a member of our missions committee, I would also like for you to come up here. So John Goss, Christine Goss, Nathan Hager, Chris Stevenson, Linda Gabor is going on the trip. Anyway, and Dave Sturdivant is already up here. I've asked Dave if he would uh, lead us in prayer over these wonderful folks, uh, just uh, to seek the Lord's blessing, to seek the Lord's protection as they travel uh, together uh, down to North Carolina and back. All right? Where are you, Dave? All right, let's pray together. Good morning. There must be some advantages to be the oldest member of the mission team in more ways than one, so... So this morning, let's, uh, let's, let's just bow for prayer as we get this. We ask, Father, this morning that you would just surround this group. We thank you, Father, for who they are, and we ask that you would pre- give them, first of all, journey mercies both ways, Father. Those are there, that you protect them as they work and they do what you have for them to do. Our, our prayer also, Father, is that as they do that, that they might have the opportunity as they're working with some of their fellow workers to present you as Lord and Savior. Father, we just uh, we look on them this morning um, somewhat with envy, Father. Uh, we've, we've been on some of these, and we know that they're very special times. First of all, Father, I've discovered over the years that many times you get more than you give. And, Father, our prayer would be that that would be what would take place here. So be with these people. Be with their families as they stay home and, and, and uh, continue to operate without them. For we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All the worship this morning comes from the book of Matthew. If you would stand with me as I read Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25 to the end of chapter, reads this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 this morning. There are a few topics that as pastors, a little uncomfortable to get up here and preach. I don't know if you've ever thought about that when the preacher's up there preaching thinking, huh, I bet you he's not very comfortable up there right now talking about that. Anybody ever, ever been sitting there thinking that? Well, if you haven't, there are. There are a couple of topics. Now, that doesn't mean these topics shouldn't be preached because they're in the Word of God and therefore they should. Amen. But topics like divorce are not topics that we, we are all that comfortable always preaching about. Or uh, politics or government are not always uh, topics that we're up here comfortable, especially if it's a voting year, right? Money, homosexuality, gender identity, uh, the two offices, Baptist distinctives, and there's two offices. What are they? Apparently we need to teach this again. Teenagers, we just did a whole study. What are the two offices? I hear it whispered. Pastor and deacon. All right? And so for me to share that text to you and, and tell you about my position as a pastor, an elder, a shepherd, that kind of a thing, can be a little bit awkward sometimes to talk about or, or preach at you. Or how about this one? The church's responsibility to the pastor. All right, being up here preaching, all right, y'all, this is how you're supposed to behave. Especially where I'm concerned, or Pastor Mark's concerned, this is how you're supposed to treat us. Right? That can be kind of awkward, don't you think? Now, I had the privilege of, a little over a year ago, uh, my father was installed as the pastor at Cornerstone Baptist in Bay City. And I was asked to, to give the charge to the church. So at these installation services, there's a charge to the pastor, what his responsibilities are. Then I got to stand in front of his congregation and tell them, all right, this is how you behave toward my daddy. Right? I got, I got to give that charge. That wasn't as awkward because it wasn't my people, it wasn't you. But if I'm standing here before you, that, that's a little bit more awkward. And pretty much anything else in Scripture that appears self-serving can be kind of awkward for a pastor to be up here. But if he is a pastor that is God-honoring, God-fearing, God-loving, and will preach the text without wavering and not skipping anything, he will march right through it and preach the truth. Amen? Amen. 
today is going to be no different. Today we're going to preach, I'm going to preach or or try to with the the short time that I have here this morning about one of these uh, topics. Y'all won't guess? Money. All right, money, money, money. That's what we're going to talk about. And there are true, two truths that are certain when it comes to the topic of money. The first is the Bible has an awful lot to say about it. And the second truth is we don't want to hear it. All right? It's like I'm somehow invading or God is somehow invading your personal space when it starts talking about your purse or your wallet, your money. And I would suggest to us that we're getting that that word your wrong, right? Thank you. I heard it with a capital H, right? This is his, all right? When we orient ourselves properly on whose this stuff even is, then we can have the proper outlook on our life. But it steps on our toes because maybe we're a little too focused on this being ours or mine, right? Well, here in our text, uh, Jesus is talking about this very thing. And I'm going to read here the text for this morning. It's it's just four verses to close out the, the book of Mark. Chapter 12, starting verse 41. And he, this is Jesus, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor woman, poor widow, came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So if you take a peek at this text, uh, the conclusion Mark is getting at here in this text, we see uh, two important things. Chapter 12 closes with these two warnings. Pastor Mark, two weeks ago, uh, addressed the first one. A warning against the pride of the scribes in verse 38 through 40. All right, These guys that cared an awful lot about the threads that they were wearing and their uh, the pedestals with which they were on, or, or praying out in public and being a very uh, public-type person. I spent a little bit of time this uh, week watching through some videos uh, of, of, of pastors that I would not necessarily uh, call pastors or follow. Okay, Some of these tele-evangelist peoples, the type that, that feel that they needed their own personal Learjet to get around and, and those kinds of things. Right? And I can't divorce these two from each other as I see this modern-day scribe, modern-day Pharisee kind of thing taking place where it's about themselves and not God. So the first warning of pride was against the scribes and getting puffed up about their position, the office in which they were. Wearsby says this way, If a person is important... Only because of the uniform he wears, the title he bears, or the office he holds, then his importance is artificial. It's artificial. Secondly, we see here a a warning against the pride of the rich in verses 41 through 44. And as we look through this, the title of the message, I borrowed this from a, a message I preached 
earlier in chapter 8 was on the cost of discipleship. And today we're going to look at the cost of true devotion. Today, what is the cost for true devotion to our Heavenly Father? So the text begins right here. Jesus, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people put money into the offering. I like, ask the students, I like activities that illustrate, right? And so activities that illustrate the lesson. And so some of you came to Sunday school, saw this thing up here, and even now are looking at it thinking, okay, this is really weird. Why is the offering box up on the platform? Right? Did anybody walk up here and put their offering in the platform for all to see? Right? No? Right? But, but Jesus is sitting here, all right? And, and, and this is uh, at the court of the woman, or, or of uh, the court of the women. This is an area where uh, all are welcome. There are, are, are places where only the men are able to be, but this is a spot where women and children are, are allowed to be too. And this is where people would come and give their offerings. Right? And so Jesus just took a moment and sat back. And I could just kind of envision him leaning up against the wall, right? And just watching. Just watching as people come and deliver their offerings. Now, there's, uh, I can't remember if it was 13 or 15, but 13 or 15 of these trumpet shaped uh, receptacles to receive uh, all of these offerings. And Jesus is watching. And so you have to picture this for a minute. Well, let me do this first. This, are you ready? You don't get too weirded out by this, okay? Illustration, all right? But I'm just going to take this. I'm going to open it, take a peek what's inside, all right? And as I look, I mean, we've got our offering envelopes, right? I mean, you guys put your offering in envelopes, and, and some people even put in, in cash. And so as I'm looking at these, well, I'm dropping them, but I can't see what's in it, so we'll just open it. Some of you are like, uh, what is he doing? I'm looking at the check, y'all. So here's a check for $10,000. $10,000 check. Got another one here. Let's see what that says. $600. I got some cash in here. You can hear it. All right. Looks like $1.88 in cash. So I got a $600 check, a $10,000 check, and $1.88 in cash right there. So just imagine for a second, okay, today we can just write $10,000 on a check and drop it in here, and no, never mind, people don't really see what you're doing, right? Back in the day, you've got to imagine that whole, um, like, bag of coinage, all right? And you bring this big old heaping bag, and you dump it into this thing, you hear all the, the coin noises, all right. Um, I used to watch DuckTales. It's like him swimming through the money bin and you hear all the, the coins, right? All right. You, you see all that and people are watching. And if we go to the previous text here about the scribes and their pride, right, about being seen, the same kind of situations going here about the pride of the rich wanting to be seen when they put that in there. So instead of writing 10000 on a check and slipping it in there in an envelope no one can see, you bring up your big bag of coinage. Do not give us $10,000 in pennies. Okay, that's just mean. All right, but you drop that in there so all can see and hear. And Jesus is watching. And somebody else, $600, they dump that in there. Right? And then here comes this little lady. 
And as I've been looking about this lady, she's a widow. She is one of those people that in this culture is more or less oppressed and not, not really seen. Okay? And so she's coming in and she doesn't want to be seen. Okay? She wants to come and give to the Lord here and not really be seen by anybody else and then slip out. But guess who saw her? Jesus did. Jesus saw what she gave. Jesus saw what others gave. Now let's take a quick peek at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, to look at this question about what the rich people are giving and why. This also connects with our passage in 38 through 40. But Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4 is another warning. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Why? In order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, which is interesting because all of these receptacles are in the shape of a trumpet. Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, And in the streets, that they may be praised by other people. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The why here is very, very important, folks, and that's what I want to camp out on just for the few minutes that we have this morning, is why we do this. Why do we do this? Not the what. Whether it's $1.88, it's $600, or $10,000 is irrelevant right now. This is a matter of the heart. Why do we give? Why did she give? It's interesting here because as we read through this text, we get to uh, after Jesus sees all of this in in verse 43, he calls his disciples to him. It's like, hey, I got something to tell you all. Come here, right? You've done that with your children before, right? Maybe you see something and you want this to be a teachable moment for your kids and you're like, hey, come here, right? You see this over there, right? And and you, you give them that instruction, that teachable moment. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, this poor widow right here has put in more than all those who contributed to the offering box. More than all of them. What did she do? It says that she gave two small copper coins. These two copper coins, or or the Greek word lepta, is uh, one 128th of a denarii is one of those coins, and she gave two. So that's 164th of a denarii, all right? So to help us with that, what does that look like? That's one day's wage is what this lady put in. Now I have some stats for you. This is the Michigan average wages, all right? So if you're your income, okay? So the top level in Michigan is earning roughly $79,000 a year. That's $38 an hour or $304 a day. The 75th percentile is bringing in $65,000 or $31 an hour. That's $248 a day. I rounded these. The average in Michigan is an income of 59000 
at $28 an hour and $224 a day. And the lower 25th percentile brings in $43,500 a year, $21 an hour, $168 a day. But as we look at this text uh, and talk about the denarii, it talks about general laborers. This is what it means for a general laborer, which is different than those uh, percentages I just gave you. Because the general labor wage in Michigan is not the lower 25th percentile, 43500 It's $31,000, which gives us our $15 an hour or $120 a day. So you want to know what she gave if we bring it up to 2022? That $1.88 is what she gave. Because if you take that $120 and you divide that out appropriately, you're going to say that a 64th of $120 is $1.88. How much money in cash did I say is in there? $1.88. That's what she had. That is all she had. And the, the general laborer for a day's wage has $120 in their pocket. So I think we can all agree that's not much money. Right? Now, maybe some of the kids that are in here are like, that's a whole dollar. Right? There's four gumballs in that dollar. But I think we can all, adults, we can all agree that $1.88 doesn't sound like a whole lot. But for her, it wasn't a matter of what she was giving. She gave all she had. That's the focus. What she gave was all she had, but the why behind that is incredibly important. Verse 44 talks about these other folks. For they all contributed out of their abundance. The $600 check that's in there, that is a general laborer's uh, weekly wage. $120 times 5, right? $600. 10000 is just uh, Daddy Warbucks coming in and just writing a check because he can. That's not real checks, by the way. I'm not jacking around with all y'all's envelopes and stuff, all right? Our trustees have that taken care of. For those of you that are worried up here that I'm ripping through your checks, okay, I'm not. These people contributed out of their abundance, Right? And so one of the interesting things that uh, we have uh, going on right now is uh, a Dave Ramsey class uh, that meets on Sunday nights uh, here in in the cafe. And one of the things about Dave Ramsey is he says that you need to live today like no one else so that tomorrow you can live and give like no one else. The idea here is focusing on, on, on your debts and things and getting your debts paid off and, and, and raising an emergency fund and taking care of retirement and doing all these things so that way you can start living and giving like no one else. You can just rip off that $10,000 check because you have done so well financially. God has provided for you so well that you can just start giving these things out of your abundance, which is a great, wonderful thing. But what's the motivation behind it is the kicker here. Because if we just start writing off $10,000 checks and handing them out just because we can, that's not good enough. How is that going to honor and glorify God if you're doing it just because you can? Because just because you can is a very me-focused thing, isn't it? These folks gave 
what they gave, their contribution out of their abundance. So when we're spending our time looking at our, our checkbook or looking at our finances and, and, and determining how much to give back to God, how much should we tithe and offer, we know that Scripture gives us this illustration of, of your first fruits of giving 10%, right, off the top. Okay, I think that's called uh, out of the gross, not the net, right? So you take off the top that first. This is a great illustration that we see even in the Levitical system about sacrifice, right? That you give uh, from your fields, you give your, your first uh, yield, right? And, and when, we're, when you're sacrificing uh, on the altar for, for your sins, you were taking your best lamb or your best goat and you're sacrificing the best one to God. Not saving this little pudgy one that you got over here that's always slow and doesn't do what he's supposed to and sacrifice that lame one, you sacrifice the best. I keep saying the sacrifice word. Why? Because God is looking for us to sacrifice something. This widow here is a picture of someone who is giving her all to God. And this is a sacrifice. If all she had is $1.88 to give that over to somebody else, do you think that's a sacrifice? Think about your own bank account right now, wherever that's at, whatever, whether that's in the black or the red, I don't know. All that you have, is it a sacrifice to take a quarter of all that you have? Would it be a sacrifice to take half of everything that you have and give to God? I think the answer for, for many of us would be yeah. Now, it's not suggesting that that's the exact number that we're giving here, okay? So don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching here that you need to go and liquidate everything and come right here. I'll be sitting right there watching, you know, and put it all in there. No. But you in your own heart need to uh, give joyously, Scripture tells us. But give in such a fashion to honor and glorify God, not self. Don't have pride in what you're giving, Have pride in in why you're giving, who you're giving to. Jeremiah tells us if you're going to boast, boast in Christ. Amen? It's not about what was given. It's about why. It's the heart of the issue. It's in the widow here as we look at this text. It's in the widow that we find a marvelous example of what Pastor Mark preached on two weeks ago in chapter 12, verse 30, a very familiar passage. But we see in this widow a marvelous example of one who loves the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind, and with all her strength. And as, as the text indicates here, why, why list out the, the person in such a way, the heart, soul, mind, sorry? It's, it's trying to point out here that we love God with all that we are, all that we have, everything. Does that include your, your wallet? You answer that, please. That includes our money. Because again, it's not my money. This is God's. It's not my car. It's God's. And I'm going to go a step further. These aren't my children. Kenzie and Ryder are not mine. They're God's. They are a gift to us 
to manage, and sometimes it's difficult to manage. But we are to raise and care for them, but they're, they're not ours. We raise our children so that we can give them back, right? 18 years old, you, you graduate high school, you like get to go to college and then, and then become an adult and, and go. And then like most millennials, they come back for however long that is, right? But we are giving them back to God, hopefully in a way that they are able and ready to withstand the attacks of the devil. That's why we are to train them up in the way they should go. So when they're old, what? They will not depart from it. Unlike everybody else that Jesus was watching, putting their their money into those receptacles, he saw the heart of this woman. A heart that said, I love you, Lord, with everything that I am. The why to what we do is vitally important. Paul recognized this as he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, uh, as, as the spiritual gifts were, were out there and, and they were boasting in those things. And then the love chapter 13 comes into play and essentially says, okay, you guys are focusing all on these what's, your, your gifts. But you know what? If it's void of what? Love, it's nothing. That is the why. Why were they utilizing these spiritual gifts? For the love of God. Not for self-entitlement, um, not for self-elevation, but for God. So the why is vitally important. So Jesus is sitting here watching, and he sees the whys every time. And you know what? God sees our heart as well. God sees your heart. He sees my heart. Scripture tells us where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. God knows your heart. And so uh, whether you came here today and gave your tithes and offering and, and it was a, a, a lot, a little, whatever, God's looking at your heart and, and is more concerned rather than the dollar figure of, are you giving joyously? Are you giving because you love me? You want to serve me? You want to see the gospel reach as far and wide as, as this church is capable of presenting? Because as he says here, all, uh, this woman gave more than all those contributing. That tells me that he doesn't care about all the rest of that. So, so if I come and I give this enormous amount but my attitude's wrong, or I'm not giving joyously, I'm not giving because I love the Lord and I want to be closer with the Lord and I want to be obedient to the Lord, then that is a meaningless offering. It's just like those spiritual gifts, faith to move mountains, but it's void of love. It's just a noisy symbol. It's worthless. Or a noisy symbol, crashing symbols are just annoying, right? Let us aspire to be more like this widow who gave everything. As a Christian, we're a little Christ, right? We're, we're wanting to be like Christ. So to be like Christ, what is the biggest thing that we could do? Like this lady, give everything that we have. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave everything that he had. He gave his very own life. For you and for me.
as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us remember that. This is a time for us to reflect, to remember. What's it say on the front of the table here? This do in remembrance of me. Communion is not about, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. I'm going to drink this juice and eat this little cracker thing. No, it's not about you. Verses 38 through 44 were all about not you. Scribe, it's not about you. Rich people, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about God. And so as we're here this morning and we're taking this out and getting ready to, to consume this, we need to remember what it is we're doing. This doesn't make you a better Christian or more Christian than the person next to you. This is a self-reflective time for us to remember what Jesus sacrificed and did on the cross, giving his all for you. He died on that cross because of you, because of me, because of us. Ephesians 2 tells us, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even though we are filthy, nasty, rotten sinners, and that's the Chris Howard paraphrase. Died for us. So this cracker, this is a symbol of Jesus' body that was pierced for our transgressions. He willingly gave all, all of himself, to be nailed to a cross and die the most horrible death there was to die. You have to ask why. I think about this Peter that, that you're talking about. To hear the gospel today and not ask why. How can you not hear the gospel and not ask why? I'll tell you, folks. Why Jesus did that? Because he loves you and he loves me. And he wants to restore a relationship with us that once was when we were created in Genesis. So because of our sin, that relationship was broken. So he died on the cross. His body was broken for you and for me. Father God, as we take this symbol, may we be reflective May we be thankful. May our motivation be to honor, love, and glorify you this morning. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, God, I pray that they get that right first. That they accept you as their true Lord and Savior before partaking. Father, as your scripture warns us, if we have strife, if we have uh, some sin between us and another believer, God, may we uh, take care of that today, now, before we come to this table. As we eat this cracker, may we eat with love, honor, respect, and gratitude for our Lord and Savior who gave his body for us. Would you eat this with me?
that question why. Why did his body have to be broken for you and for me? Because he loves you, but because his blood needed to be spilled. Like any sacrifice in the Old Testament, blood of that perfect lamb needed to be spilled to cover or atone for your sin. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This final sacrifice needed to be made. This blood needed to be spilled for you and for me. As the writer in Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This had to happen. And as I was talking with Bob before the service, we were just thinking about, you know, Jesus' state of mind. Even Jesus went to God and said, hey, God, if there's any other way, so I don't have to go there, can we do that? God said, no, this is how it needs to be done. And Jesus, very well, let's do this. So as we drink, as we partake of this, let us remember that without the shedding of Jesus' blood, Christians sitting here today, you would have no hope. So drink in remembrance of Jesus. Father, we do thank you so much for your giving to us. That moment when I realized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, God, I, I was destined for hell. I knew something was wrong with me, and I wasn't quite sure what to do about it. And, and you, in your sovereign plan, put the right people around me to share the gospel with me so that I could understand why Jesus would do what he did and then respond to that and ask for him to forgive me from my sins, to come and, and allow the Holy Spirit to reside within my own heart and my own soul enabling me, enlightening me, strengthening me to be the Christian that you would have for me to be. So that I could love you, Lord, with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my, all my heart, with all my soul, strength. God, that I could love you with all that I am. Father, we all know that there are times and situations and people that are just hard to love. And we dare say impossible to love. But Father, there is nothing impossible for you. And so I pray today for those that are followers of you today that may uh, be struggling with other people, that you would allow them to tap into your limitless resource, yourself, your own power to forgive and to love. And God, for those that may not know you here today, God, I pray that they would come to this realization, this understanding, this knowledge that, that they are a sinner here this morning in desperate need of a Savior. And that they would seek someone out, seek myself or anybody that they saw up here in our missions team and ask, hey, how can I know for sure? I hear this what Jesus did, and I kind of hear this why, but what do I need to do? How do I respond? Nothing would please you more this morning. i to pray as we leave from this place that we will leave to change people. We will leave a people that are willing 
to surrender all that we have for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our God, you reign.